I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Should Christians wear COVID masks? And I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. I just love this question. Let's talk about it because there are basically now two impassioned positions that are held by authentic ambassadors of Christ. Okay, read that with me, please. Two impassioned positions held by authentic ambassadors of Christ. I'm going to sum them up. It's kind of caricatured here a little bit, but you'll get the point. Because we all all kind of know the issues. I just want to put us on the same page. You have those who regard cloth masks, such as the one I'm wearing this morning here, uh, as effective against COVID. And so they hold that wearing them glorifies God in three ways. By protecting lives without jeopardizing freedom. Glorifies God by defending our witness to the world. And glorifies God by obeying a clear command in scripture to submit to authorities. Okay. Whereas those who regard the cloth mask like this one as ineffective against COVID, well, they hold that not wearing them, it's only me today, that not wearing them glorifies God by protecting religious freedoms without jeopardizing lives. And it glorifies God by defending our flock from the world. And it glorifies God by obeying a higher command to resist unlawful overreach by the government. Now, now that's oversimplified, okay, I know. And there are many variations. You might be going, well, I got a little of this and some of that in there. Yes, but those are the two basic sides right there in a nutshell. That's basically it. So the question is, who's basically right and who's basically wrong and whose side am I on and basically who cares? Which it, which it turns out, a whole lot more people than I thought. We got the angry emailers all the time. We've had people leaving this church Because we're too strict. We're not strict enough. Take a stand, pastor. Get up there. Tell us whose side you're on. I'm going to. I'm going to, just not yet. But I want to tell you that everyone who who wants to know is everyone who actually authentically embraces one of those two divided views. That's who cares what I think. Anyone who, who earnestly believes that the position they've taken is the strongest position. Theirs is the stronger position. They have the strongest supporting scriptures. Okay, so how about you? Because I don't know where you all stand. Uh, if, you, if you have a stance, here's the question. Do you believe that, that your view is the stronger of those two? Or, or maybe you have a variation. But do you believe that, yeah, I think I'm the, I'm the one with the, with the best view. I'm the stronger, Okay. Do you believe that your view is the strongest? Because the thing is, these two views are so polarized at this point that arguing is pointless. Um, As we saw last Sunday, we were ramping up to this week covering chapter 14 of Romans. And we saw that this has become a full-fledged disputable matter among believers. 
And the enemy can, can use this to divide the church to some degree. And if you look at the church at large, I mean, who would have thought a mask would be the thing you know, that comes in? But it is, and it's here. So the question is, what can we do when we can't agree? I'm not talking about believers. I'm not talking about the I'm talking about us, the church. So I have a very pointed message at one group today. If you see yourself as the stronger, your position is the stronger, and those other half-witnesses as, <laughs> as weaker, okay? Whatever your position is, if you go, I'm the stronger, they're the weaker, then I'm preaching at you today. Although I would, I would hazard a guess that if you have an opinion, you think you're the stronger. And if you do, then you have obligated yourself to our Father's first and foremost command to the stronger believer. If you think you're the weaker, well, you should just switch sides. You should go with the one you think is right. Oh, yeah, yeah, they make a way better case than me. Well, then you go with that one. But if you say, no, no, I make the best case, then you're the stronger believer. And so you have just obligated yourself to the first and foremost command to the stronger believer, which is found in Romans 14. We talked about it last week, and it is this. It is to accept the one whose faith is weak, as in weaker than yours, without quarreling over disputable matters, as opposed to respectfully discussing or debating. That's good. No, no quarreling. For God has accepted them. Okay? Part of the family, part of the body. So who are you? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now, I love that scripture says here, each should be fully convinced in their own mind. That's, that's good. Because whether we believers, he's talking about the, the believers now, whether we believers live or die, we, like servants, that's his analogy, belong to the Lord. You then, you, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you? You're the stronger. Why do you treat them with contempt? For we, sincere believers, whether sincerely right or sincerely wrong on momentary issues, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. We will? I thought Jesus was going to be there and say, oh, you know, wait, the believer stands before God's judgment seat? Yes. And that's not all. Each of us, believers, sincere seekers, will give an account of ourselves to God on eternal issues. Therefore, he says, with that in mind, let us, of all people, let us stop passing judgment on, on one another, you know, lest we be judged in the same manner, like Jesus warned us last week. Instead, instead, instead of allowing disputables to become divisive among us, Instead, make up your mind, you stronger believer, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. In the way, in the way of what? They're already brother and sister. In the way of what? In the way of what? What's coming up? Also, he says, therefore, do not let what you know is good, what you all know and agree on, not disputable, <laughs> is good. You know, the kingdom of God. 
don't let this be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God, which we all know and agree is good, is a matter, is an undisputable matter among us of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So don't block another believer's way to that, to the righteousness, peace, and joy that is the kingdom of God that we all share. Because anyone, Paul says, anyone who serves Christ in this way with righteousness, peace, and joy is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Even if they disagree with you, they go, well, gosh, can't, I, I can't not like you. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to that mutual edification with the people we disagree with. And look at this last line. Do not destroy the work of God. That's a massive warning. You stronger believers, do not destroy the work of God. Jesus says in John, this is the work of God. He's talking to the world. He's talking to just crowds. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. First John says, well, and this is his command to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. So let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works and good works. For we are God's workmanship. That's his work. Us. We are God's workmanship doesn't stop there, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. What kind of good works? Well, for we are God's fellow workers, so building each other up. We're God's fellow workers. And Paul says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's when we stand before his throne. The day of Jesus Christ. So whatever you do. Do not destroy the work of God. Because that ain't going to fly in front of his throne on the day of Jesus Christ. Were you aware that the saved will stand before God's judgment seat? We don't hear this a lot. You know, we hear about our sin that Jesus is going to say, hey, I got their sin. That's different than this account. Were you aware you're going to give an account and that some will suffer? The saved will suffer loss, right? Paul writes about it to the Corinthians. We're going to read it in a second before we do. Think about it. What account will we give before God? Not an account of our sin, per se. That was judged once for all on the cross. That is foundational to our faith. Paul weaves it right into this point he's making. For no one, he says, no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. But then he goes on to say, but we, believers, will give an account of what we've built individually, what we've built on that foundation. What do we build? What do you build on the foundation of Christ? I think we build each other up. He says their work. I mean, there's only one thing that follows us to heaven, right? It's other people. Their work will be shown for what it is. We're God's fellow workers. We know what his work is. Us. Their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's the day of Jesus Christ, will bring it to light. And this gets scary. It will be revealed with fire. Remember when John the Baptist, he says, hey, to the believers, those who are coming after, 
He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Here Paul says, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, oh, there's a key word, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Well, that won't be pleasant. Don't ask me to describe exactly how that works, but I, I, we, all I need to know is not going to be pleasant. What I want you to notice is that the reward is ours to lose. There is just a reward. Do you get the reward or is it reduced? Do you suffer the loss? The reward is ours. You ever watch American Pickers? I love American Pickers. Somebody, you, you watch it, don't you? Okay, thank you. A couple of you do. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love American Pickers. My daughter Shaz is here today and her new little baby reminds me of Frank Fritz. And so, the one on the right. Uh, very similar beards. The, okay, I grew up in a wrecking yard, and I love that these guys love junk. They love they rusty gold, they call it. Rusty gold. I love that term there. We're looking for rusty gold. And that's how they describe an item with a valuable maker's mark somewhere on it and good patina. Oh, it's got to have the patina. You know, it's got to be gold, but it's got to have the rust. The scars and marks of use. Give it a depth and an interest and a story. And the maker's mark gives it value. And together, those two things determine the full reward that these guys are going to offer. Okay, we can give you this much. This is what this thing is worth right now in this condition. But then they start taking money off. Well, we've got to reduce the reward because uh, there's some damage here. And the damage is usually caused either by neglect or an unwise attempt to remove the patina. We wanted it to look nice. Oh, yeah, you've taken away some of the value. I mean, it still has the maker's mark and all, but you took away the story, the history. You took away the depth. We do that, right? We do that. We try to hide our patina. I don't want people to see that part of me. Mm, no, no. Uh, you're rusty gold, baby. Rusty gold. Shar and I have an antique table. Uh, it's an antique kitchen table. We bought, we cleaned it all up, restored it a little bit. I don't know if you say restore, we, uh, we cleaned it. But we left it. Wait, wait, my favorite part is a corner of the table that has all these little holes, all these are different. They're all the same diameter, but they're different, different depths. And they've been there a long time, and it's like pockmarked. And there's got to be a couple hundred holes on one corner. And I started asking the antique shops, what would these be? What? And we started looking up online. What would this be? What would this be? I can't remember now if it was an antique shop owner or online. Somebody knew what it was. Said, oh, those are ice pick holes. Because this table, and all of a sudden they start telling me the whole story of the table. Because this table obviously is from back when ice boxes were ice boxes. And they said, uh, you, you know that the, uh, the ice box was near that corner of the table. And so when they needed to make ice cubes of some sort, um, they'd probably put a dish towel on the table and then take the block of ice out and set it there. And sometimes the ice would crack real easy and it'd go through. And it's like, they've got a whole story. Now it's, it's my favorite part of the table. And people come by and say, look at the, all the holes. Guess what these are? 
the ice pickles, the ice pick holes. <laughs> so what's our reward? What is our reward? Brother James writes this, blessed is the one who perseveres. I'm just going to say patinas. Blessed is the one who patinas under trial because having stood the test, which I'm telling you, I've read on, I think he's talking about the test of fire. I think he's talking about the test. Having stood the test of fire, that person, we'll just call them the testifier. Take a second for that to sink in. Because you're a testifier and you will stand before the test of fire. I just like that little play on words. Um, the person will receive the crown of life. And I looked up crown, and to my surprise, because I already had my American picker analogy, it said, uh, n number one, crown, and then it was indented. It said, um, like, literally, uh, royal mark. I mean, oh my goodness, it's the, it's the royal mark. The royal mark of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The Lord himself, Jesus, said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Brother James, his brother James says, because now he's talking about judgment, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy to others. Which, man, I'm judged by what he says there. Mercilessness. I'm guessing just burns like gas on a fire before the throne. But he said, mercy shown to others. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But I thought we had Jesus. Mercy triumphs over whose judgment? Ours or someone else's? Does my mercy to someone else somehow help them? You think? Uh, Paul just spits it right out <laughs> to the Thessalonians. These are the people he's trying to get to the kingdom. He says, for what is our hope, our joy, or the crown? What is the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? What? You ever heard that? What's the, what? Wouldn't that be incredible? If the crown of life that most marks us as our makers refers to all those we've helped to usher into our Father's kingdom by showing them our mercy. For you, Paul writes now to the Philippians, who he's trying to get into heaven. For you are my joy and the reward for my work. Well, now he's just saying it outright. Wow. Wow. All of a sudden, a lot of things make sense, some in an incredible way, some in a horrible way. Because wouldn't it be horrible if that is why that which we have not rightly built up burns up? If the fire reveals the work. Wouldn't that be horrible if that's why, and I'll just quote it again, that we'd be saved even though only as one escaping through the flames. I'll take a whole bunch with me. We're all going to die, right? We're all going to die. This world will pass away. But we're given these elephant in the room moments as opportunities to get our hearts right while leading others in the way without blocking it. By our example of his mercy, I want to be a stepping stone. My, I'll tell you, my position on this disputable matter 
is pretty simple. Whatever I currently think, because my thoughts change, and whenever I express my thoughts to others, I want to be a stepping stone to the throne rather than a stumbling block to that peace and joy and righteousness in the church. Because whether we live or die, you and I belong to the Lord. Which means we don't have the right to have the right stance without grace. Paul concludes his instructions. I've never had a message so pointed at one group before. But all you who think you're stronger, whatever side you're on, you're the group today. And I'm in that group. I think my opinion's the strongest. Paul concludes his instructions regarding disputable matters to the stronger believers, writing, We who are strong, literally capable, ought to bear with the failings, you know, whatever we perceive as the failings of the weak, literally the incapable. The capable has to help the incapable, right? Not just to please ourselves. You're going to put the others first. You know, wait. Each of us should please our neighbors. People pleasers? No, not people pleasers. For their good, their eternal good. You know, to build them up. That's your work. You're building up others on a foundation of Christ, and we will stand together before the throne and our work will be revealed by the fire. And if it burns up, we suffer loss. He says, for even Christ did not please himself because things burn up unless they're built up in Christ. So, we have two positions, right? Well, ignore that for a second because we got two teams. We got two choices. Builders versus destroyers. You do have to pick a side there. I would go with the builders. And there's plenty of room on that one team for those two positions. You know? It's just passing disputable matters among believers. Whatever you do, do not destroy the work of God. You've got to ask, why so much responsibility put on the strong believer? Because the weaker can't cater to the stronger, right? But the stronger can and ought to bear with the weaker. So when you go, oh boy, there's this one guy, gal. Every time I try to uh, discuss it, it turns into a big argument because of them. Oh, so you're the stronger of the two. Okay, then you have a responsibility here because you've recognized that they're weaker than you. Don't do what makes you fight. <laughs> That's my position on that. <laughs> so are you the stronger? There's an old sheep herder's saying I like. A good shepherd paces the flock to accommodate the weakest lamb. You see, the sin of the stronger is insensitivity to the vulnerability of the weaker. You know how we baby-proof our homes? Right? That isn't to please ourselves. It's to protect our little lambs, which then in a funny way pleases ourselves. When Shaz was little, Shaz was a whole, we had a hard time keeping up with this one. Uh, 
famous family stories, the time she got into the desitin, and it was everywhere. The time she got into the Vaseline, it was everywhere. The time she got into the toilet, literally, we got a picture. <laughs> Here's the thing, at the time, it's funny now, at the time it was frustrating, you know. We got frustrated, but we never got in the toilet with her. You get the point? You can get frustrated at a weaker seeker. Don't get in the toilet with them. Those who are stronger are not to look down in any way, shape, or form on the weaker, but to regard them as children, because they are. They're God's children. And we don't condemn children for being children. You don't say to a child, what are we having for dinner? What do you got? Are you going to the store? No, it's absurd. You say, I guess I'm making dinner. Right? What do you want for dinner? Don't say candy. Because we do teach. Maybe keep in mind that meekness isn't weakness. It's strength under control. Let's just chant that, right? Meekness isn't weakness. It's strength under control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I want you to listen to Paul's emotion at the end of this thing. For even Christ, even Christ did not please himself. I mean, if anybody deserved, even he was infinitely wise and mature, was gentle and considerate. With Peter, the denier, and with Thomas, the doubter, and with Judas, the betrayer, and with you, the whatever you are, and me, even he, even he, who is pure and holy, allowed himself to be covered in sin. So when you, or me, a follower of him, honestly regard a fellow follower as more childish than yourself, you've obligated yourself. You've obligated yourself to the role of a patient, gentle parent for the sake of the shepherd's flock. Because people are deeply affected by self-sacrifice, not self-righteousness. Which doesn't mean we don't instruct and challenge one another. It just means whenever we turn a disputable matter into a divisive moment, we quickly recognize, especially if we're condescending to a sincere servant who we just think is wrong, we just quickly realize that we're trying to build with stumbling blocks rather than stepping stones. And that's going to burn before the throne. So be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Because we we're all given a piece. Watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be. Not lording it, I like that, even the Lord didn't lord it. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. You know, scripture pictures this life as a fading shadow. Wouldn't it be poetic if the crown of life was the unfading shadow cast in the presence of his glory? 
by all the people that are still there. I don't, whatever it is, it's ours to lose. So whatever impassioned position you hold, just be sure to hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Okay, so time to answer. Whose side am I on? Okay, so whose side am I on? I'll tell you right now, and I, I'll be very clear. Yours. Because I'll tell you why. <laughs> Thank you. I'll tell you why. Because somebody's got to be the parental referee, and I guess that's me. You pay me to do it. Because, and the real reason is, I also believe, like many of you, that I do have the strongest position, which is a variation of those things. And that obligates me, as it does you, to a shepherd. I shouldn't be alone in this, to a shepherd's role. And I just want to tell you, I am more than happy to discuss my view. I, I do every Sunday the bat. We bring, I, I am happy to do it one-on-one -on -one in a God-honoring way, but I'm sure not going to stand up here before the Lord and throw more fuel on the fire. That <laughs> would not be productive. Each of us will give an account of how we fulfilled our created purpose, trusting and loving our Father and obeying and displaying His Son. So if I'm going to judge a life, let it be my own. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. When the big reveal is sure to be the reward that remains when the smoke clears. So let's pray. Father God, we love you and worship you. And, and now we're getting ready to judge ourselves in your presence. Holy Spirit, crown us with loving patience over the failings of fellow followers. Prevent us from harming in any way the eternal well-being of sincere but weaker seekers. Lord Jesus, whether we live or die, we belong to you. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.